Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I am honored to be welcoming Nikeo Greco. Nikeo is a force in the beauty industry. She's the founder of Nikeo Beauty, co-founder of the inclusive beauty e-commerce platform 13 Loon, and recently she launched a new inclusive beauty brand, Relevant, Your Skin Scene. In 2020, Nikeo launched 13 Loon, an e-commerce destination designed to inspire the discovery of beauty brands created by black and brown founders that resonate with people of all colors. The website sells products made for all people by BIPOC-owned brands, features a thorough and fully curated selection of products made specifically for Black and brown people, and emphasize allied brands that have made a measurable effort to create an inclusive product lineup. 13 Loon's mission is to reframe how Black and brown beauty brands are perceived from an industry perspective by giving each brand a platform to sell, educate, and engage with a broader audience like never before. During this conversation, we cover how Nikeo struggled with imposter syndrome, learned to embrace the title entrepreneur, and paid homage to her heritage throughout her career. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Nikeo, I'm so excited to be speaking with you today. I've been looking forward to this interview all week. For those listeners who maybe have never heard your name, would you mind just introducing yourself? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Nikeo Grieco. I am the co-founder of 13 Loon and the founder of Relevant Your Skin Scene. 13 Loon is the first of its kind, truly inclusive beauty retail platform where 90% of the brands we carry are created by people of color who make products for everyone, and 10% are dedicated to fostering allyship. And as a young girl, you spent a lot of time in Africa with your family. Can you talk about how those experiences shaped your beauty journey and how your Kenyan heritage played a role in that? Absolutely. So I went to Kenya when I was eight years old. Um, And that is where I met my grandmother, Nikeo, um, who I named my first beauty brand after. Uh, She was a Kenyan coffee farmer. My grandfather passed away before I got the chance to meet him, but he was a medicine man. And my grandmother taught me my very first secret, uh, beauty secret, using Kenyan coffee beans and sugarcane from her farm to create an exfoliator. And so I say that's kind of when my beauty journey began. But my grandfather's rituals and practices, you know, just being a medicine man and having the ability to go out in nature and extract oils to treat the skin and ailments and hair, um, sort of having those, you know, that sort of book of, of recipes and beauty secrets um, and really, you know, having a mom who used those uh, types of taking care of our skin and our hair. Um, she had learned as a child and passed it on to me really, um, I think was all the inspiration for, for why I wanted to create my first beauty brand. I understand you grew up in Oklahoma. I what, did. what was that experience like? So when I think about Oklahoma, no offense to those listening, I don't necessarily think of like the epicenter of, of beauty or coming up with like very diverse beauty lines. What was it growing up like for you in that state? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, ironically, I had a, a really um, amazing childhood in, in Oklahoma. And I think a big part of that is that, you know, I was born on the East coast. I lived in 
New York and New Jersey uh, for the first eight and a half, almost nine years of my life, and then moved to Oklahoma where my dad started the African studies program. And so, you know, because I grew up in a college town, I would say, you know, Norman, where I grew up, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, were definitely more progressive um, than maybe some of the smaller towns around Oklahoma. And the University of Oklahoma did a really great job of recruiting talent from all over the country. So I actually had a pretty pretty diverse uh, neighborhood. Uh, Anita Hill was my next door neighbor for a while, you know, so um, I definitely lived in the part of Oklahoma where you would see, you know, the most diversity, I would say, and, and Oklahoma City as well. But when it came to beauty, um, there weren't a lot of uh, kind of options, especially for women of color, you know, I remember going to the beauty counter and I think at one point only JC Penney and Dillard's were the only stores that that sold my mom's shade of makeup and so a lot of her makeup choices came from like MLM companies like Mary Kay or Avon uh but what I did love is that you know there were a lot of people who did a lot of DIY I mean I started with my first beauty product um, outside of making coffee scrub in Kenya with my grandmother is I begged, begged for a nail polish making kit. And my mom allowed me to get this nail polish making kit, but I wasn't allowed to use it in the house because there was a lot of glitter and glue. Um, but I did make this nail polish and then tried to sell it to my friends. So I guess I've been an entrepreneur since, you know, the fourth grade. But you kind of avoided business when you were at school. You yeah. really kind of focused more on the humanities aspects, thinking yes, you were going to be beginning. going in to the- law school. Yeah. And, and I always wish I would have gotten a minor in business. I tell everyone I'll, to get yeah. a minor in business. I don't care yeah. what you major in, right? but those are skills that you will need at some point in your life, whether you Absolutely. think you're going to run a brand or not. Absolutely. But- yeah. I started it. I started as a letters major Um, because I thought I wanted to go to law school, but I ended up actually switching to the business school and did graduate with a business degree. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that I did, you know, I, I graduated with a business marketing degree, which I actually think was probably the best area of business for somebody who wants to ultimately, I didn't know I wanted to become an entrepreneur when I graduated from college, but you know, I really did. I used a business plan that I wrote for one of my business courses to get my first round of financing for Nikeo as kind of a template to write, you know, and this is back when you had to write, you know, 20, 30 page business plans in the early 2000s. But yeah, I'm, I'm grateful. And I actually go back um, now often to teach, uh, guest teach at the business school there. And they have a really strong entrepreneurship program um, that they didn't have when I was in college. But, you know, yes, I definitely think even a minor in business or even, you know, college isn't for everyone, but you can take business courses and community colleges. There's a lot of online business courses just to sort of have a better understanding around the terminology and what's a term sheet and, you know, what is a business plan? What's the difference between that and a pitch deck, you know, et cetera. So yeah, I think it was, it was definitely worth it. So let's talk about that first round of funding. You moved to Hollywood, to LA, and you're working at the agency and around 28, I believe you decided I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to do this. I know there's been times where I've told my parents, I have this crazy idea and they're like, yeah, but you know, a paycheck's really nice and health insurance is important, but you really took a gamble. What made you decide to take that leap at 28 years old? 
So, you know, I, I worked in entertainment um, and uh, my bosses represented a lot of actresses. So I had a lot of products that would come across my desk and my best friend um, that I lived with at the time, we were both, you know, obsessed with beauty. So I would often get to bring a lot of these products home if, you know, they weren't passed along to the actors or they had, you know, they were being kind and said, you keep it. Um, and what I found in looking at all of these products and playing with all of these products that were beautiful and efficacious and celebrated so many cultures, there was a real lack of anything that celebrated um, Africa and the sophistication of Africa. Many of these products were using ingredients from Africa, like shea and, and various oils and things, but nobody was talking about it. And I thought, well, gosh, there just seems like such an opportunity. I've got, you know, this family history. I know that, you know, we didn't call it clean beauty back then. You know, we just talked about, you know, things being best for you when they come from the earth. And I, you know, had this coffee scrub recipe. And so I decided I was going to quit my job and make coffee scrub. And to the point of your parents, when I told them while they were, you know, proud of me for tapping into my heritage, they definitely thought I had lost my mind in the very beginning that I was going to give up my job and make my grandmother's coffee scrub. But obviously it was a good choice. Why do you think there was at the time, and I would almost argue there still is such a lack of knowledge around African beauty and mm -hmm. the ingredients and the abundance that really comes mm -hmm. from Africa? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, when you look across the industry as a whole, and not even just Africa, you know, you think about Southeast Asia, South America, so many of the ingredients used across every category of beauty are cultivated from marginalized parts of the world. And, and it is, it is interesting. I mean, there's definitely a lot more brands than there were when I launched my first brand in 2002, speaking to the beauty of Africa and the sophistication of Africa and the efficacy of ingredients from Africa. But you know, there's, there's always um, the ability or the chance to do more. And I think with what we're building at 13 Loon, bringing so many of these beautiful brands to shelf, um, we're seeing a lot more of those sort of family rituals and, and these amazing ingredients being celebrated within their brands. And so I hope that we, as a platform and as a retailer, can help to take up more space where, you know, it's sort of like giving credit back to where credit is due. When you look at these different places around the world that have long delivered on their promises with their, with their ingredients that we then, you know, make sure that we're celebrating them too. Let's talk a little about 13 Loon. You've had such an amazing career in the beauty space. You've launched three separate brands, gone through those fundings, but um, while I was preparing for this conversation, I heard you talk about this racial reckoning that you mm -hmm. experience. And I think a lot of us experience that. I know this podcast was kind of birthed out of 2020 and just feeling the need to be more educated, to speak up and to learn from other people who might look differently from me, but our stories, we can relate on such like a deeper level if we just listen to one another. Yeah but you had your own experience where you really took your pain and what you were going through and turned it into your purpose. Can you talk mm -hmm. about that time? Yes. Um, so we were in the middle of, you know, the most heightened moment of the global pandemic, as well as, you know, witnessing 
the atrocity of, of a racial reckoning in a way that I'm not even quite sure that we could have digested had we not been in the midst of a global pandemic and, you know, locked at home, but it was intense. It was intense. It was intense for everyone. It was intense for the globe, right? And, you know, we were, we were seeing a, a completely different depiction of what, at least I'll speak it for myself, I had ever believed, you know, the United States of America to be, and, and it was heartbreaking. Um, but simultaneously, I was on all these lists, you know, top black owned to shop and to follow. And while my original brand had exited to Unilever at the time, I was still working on the brand, um, working with the brand and the sales went up 435% at online at Target. And I was getting so many DMs, so many interview requests and while it was lovely that after 18 years of working on this brand to, to receive this sort of attention, it was built on the precipice of such a hard time. And quite frankly, I didn't care about beauty. I was worried for our safety, for our health. And, and you know, as opposed to just curling up in a ball and, and laying in bed all day, I started kind of shopping the lists and following some of the people that I was on these lists with. And then also seeing you know, beautiful initiatives like the 15% pledge and pull up for change happening, but then wondering why it was so hard to get to 15 products or 15 founders on shelf when I'm on a list of 500 or a thousand or 300. And so my co-founder Patrick and I had been talking for quite some time about doing something together. We both were sort of at the stage in our first businesses that we were ready for something new. And, and it was just in that moment that I knew that you know, what was needed and it was to change the face of retail and beauty. And, and so that's why we created 13 loons so that we could kind of flip it on its head and, and get dedicate 90% of our shelf space to people of color who create products for everyone. And, you know, there was also the opportunity to debunk the myth that black and brown people only make products for black and brown people, which is ridiculous because I use products every day that are made by people who don't look like me and, and they work. So, um, so yeah, it was just a way to level the playing field and help to create generational wealth and take up more space. Did you feel pressure being on those lists, your products mm. all of a sudden were selling? Did you feel that pressure? And I also would almost feel like, well, where have you been? My products yeah. have been here for 18 years. I've been doing this for 18 years. And yeah. now because of this tragedy, I'm getting recognized. Like, yeah, did it? Yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was a plethora of emotions. Um, there was, you know, sort of the shock of, of all of the attention and wow, now this person wants to speak to me and this retailer that never returned my emails wants to talk to me. And, you know, it was, it was interesting. Um, but yes, you also feel a little bit like you're, you know, some of the attention didn't feel necessarily as authentic as you would hope. Um, and then I also thought, well, gosh, if you're getting all this attention, go do something with it. Like go create something where you can actually help to change this narrative and help to change the industry. And, you know, mind you, when we started 13 Loon, we conceived it in June of 2020, started, you know, sort of nailed down, you know, Patrick and I had been talking for a long time about what could we do, but 13 Loon was ideated pretty much over a two hour lunch in June of 2020. And we launched in December of 2020. 
Um, and so it was in, in, a, in quite an amazing way. I'm now grateful for that sort of spotlight because it allowed us to, you know, make fundraising easier than it's ever been for me. Um, it was never easy for me, which is probably why it took 18 years for people to know who this, you know, my, with my first brand, who I was. Um, but, you know, so in a, in a weird way, I just think sometimes you're placed exactly where you're supposed to be, especially if it means that you're about to create something that's going to really truly serve the collective. So 13 Loon launched with 13 BIPOC owners of makeup, skincare, hair care companies. Um, how did you decide who those 13 initial companies were? And then can you also explain the 90-10 rule to our yeah, listeners? Absolutely. So the first 13, um, you know, Patrick and I made our very first hire right away, uh, which is our head of merchandise, our VP of merchandising, Janelle Freeman. Um, who helped to create and curate beauty at Net-A-Porter. So we knew we wanted a really seasoned merchant. And so it was really a combination of, you know, sort of brands that I kept sort of seeing on the list or people who I slid into their DMs, brands that Janelle had discovered. Um, and that's how the original 13 came to be. Um, and 90%, as I said, of the brands um, that we carry are, created, that is the 90-10 rule, 90% forever and always will be products created by people of color from around the globe, because this is really a global, <clears throat> excuse me, global beauty story, um, and 10% dedicated to fostering allyship. Um, and so in those early days with those first 13, we thought it was important to just really dedicate those first 13 brands to being Black-owned brands. But very, very quickly, we started to onboard brands from Southeast Asia, South America, East Asia, um, all over, and Africa, um, and also bring on an ally brand. And our first ally brand was Goop. Um, and we define an ally brand as a brand that long before the racial reckoning was really thinking about how to serve all in not only the products they made, but in front of and behind the camera, in their boardrooms. And Gwyneth had, you know, when I was uh, really coming up and she had created Goop, she was one of the first online retailers that really got behind um, my first brand. She was one of my very first investors in 13 Loon. And I've been using her products for years and, and know how efficacious and clean and wonderful they are. And so, you know, it was obvious that she would be our first ally. And, and, you know, then we quickly followed up with other, either brands that um, we've discovered through, through Janelle or true allies um, to me within the industry. And, and it's great because what we're also finding, especially when we bring on some of these larger ally brands, like an Olaplex, et cetera, there's a ripple effect where all of a sudden we'll start to see all of our hair sales go up. Even brands that have two SKUs that maybe you've never heard of before all of a sudden are selling a hair mask or a hair oil or a hair tool. And, you know, when we said truly inclusive, we wanted to be truly inclusive and truly inclusive means everyone, but we wanted to make sure that we were focused on serving the consumer and the founder who's been underserved for far too long first. Well, I give you so much credit because you guys really talk the talk and walk the walk. You really do prioritize both like cultural and ethnicity inclusion 
in mm-hmm. your brand, which I think is so important because as someone who loves beauty, it's really easy to go into a Target or a Sephora or on a website and kind of look to see what brands and you're mentioning brands that I use, but then if they're on the same page as another brand, mm-hmm. I look at it as like, oh, it's a trusted brand or they work well together. Let me add this to and see how it is. And so you're giving a lot of individuals and companies that um, opportunity to shine and be able to be seen, which I think is so important. Absolutely. And then, you know, with our partnership now and opening all of these stores, it also gives the consumer a chance to see themselves better reflected at shelf. You know, I, when, you know, this was all happening and people were taking the pledges and, and, we started to see all these black walls go up everywhere. I, I was really worried for the fact that, you know, we had just sort of accomplished desegregating the beauty aisle. We definitely did not want to create that segregation and separation again. But what I love about 13 Loon is that all of our brands, you know, from a physical, from a visual standpoint, when you actually visit one of our physical locations are merged together, our allies, our black founders, our brown founders, all merchandise together because we are all founders first and we happen to be proudly black, proudly brown, a proud ally, et cetera. And, and so I think in even taking it, yes, like there are times that, you know, when we launched our first store in store, um, it was the first time a national makeup brand created by an indigenous woman had ever been on a national shelf, which I couldn't even believe that was true, um, that we had never launched an indigenous makeup brand into national retail before, but that happening for CC from Prado's Beauty, one of our now top selling brands at 13 Loon, um, was incredible because the trajectory of her growth as we continue to scale our business is game-changing for so many of our founders, for their families, and for the industry at large. When you think about the next generation, looking at women like Cece or Jada from Ami Kole or any of our incredible founders, then they know they can do it too because they see themselves. So it's really, you know, this full sort of 360 experience that does allow, of course, you get to discover all of these incredible brands. Um, it is a place of discovery, but it's also a place where you can truly just make your beauty shopping more meaningful um, because you know you're contributing to changing the face of retail. And a lot of the individuals you just mentioned are like female founders. And I think you definitely know from experience and other guests have mentioned how hard it is to raise capital, not only as a female, but a female who's minority it is even harder to get a seat at that table, which is crazy to me because women make up half the population. Like, especially in the beauty industry, there is so much, first off, money to be made, but also room for people with all different Mm. skin tones, hair textures, like everything and anything under the sun to have a space. Mm -hmm. What would you tell some up and coming female entrepreneurs? What advice do you have? Yes. Oh my gosh. So much. Um, I, I think first and foremost, um, you know, I was so fortunate and I actually mean this, I I wouldn't normally say that ignorance is bliss ever. Ignorance can be so harmful and hurtful, but in my case of being so ignorant to the stats around the ability 
to gain capital when I first started out at 27, 28 years old. Um, had I known them, it might have deterred me. If I'd, I mean, I can't even imagine what they were back then in 2002, if it's 0.0002% now um, for the chance of, you know, women of color or, you know, the amount of money that women of color have gotten from from financial institutions and, and um, VCs, that would have really scared me. So my advice would be don't pay attention to the stats. Just look at those who have come before you. And even when I'm sure times were more grim, um, still did it. Um, no's are often a gift. Um, you know, I remember sometimes like going and actually even being able to get in the room and pitch and, and getting a rejection or a pass in the early days, like taking it so personally, but then sure enough, a couple of years later, I would realize that, thank goodness they said, no, that wouldn't have been the right fit for me, for my business, et cetera. Don't take dumb money. I've definitely done that. Um, and, and I define dumb money as money that when you feel it in your gut, that it's not going to potentially work out the right way. Don't be in such a space of poverty consciousness for your business that you take a small sum often or of money to give up most of yourself or most of your company because those deals never go right um, for the founder and they are a bitch to work yourself out of, right? So, um, and just, and don't be afraid to fall down. You know, I would not, I, I've probably had, I don't know, five, six different launch parties for my first brand because I would, I would build it to a certain place and then I couldn't get the capital to keep it going. And then I would shut it down and then I would come back and then be a part of this portfolio and that portfolio. But in every step of the way, you know, what call it failure, fall down moments I prefer, it always led me to a better place or greater lessons and an opportunity to do it different. And so, you know, and also ask for help. People want to help other people. Um, mentorship has been key in my career. There have been so many people that have had my back since day one that have that have really helped to propel me forward. And and I love being a mentor to others because I think it it gives me an ability to to pay back all that's been given to me. And I love to see people win. And most people do. Um, there's room for all of us. And so yeah, surround yourself with people who. You know, I always say that I hire people who know way more than I do in the areas that I'm hiring them to do because I want to learn from them and and give them the autonomy to grow and soar. And it's sort of the same with, you know, when you're looking for funding, you know, go find the helpers, go find the people that are really smart, that have done it before, ask their advice and, and you know, just do it. Life is short. Absolutely. And you definitely are doing it because of... Um, a year and a half ago about you launched another company, uh, Relevant. And that name came from the goal that every person in every skin tone, mm -hmm. age, background, whatever should feel relevant. Can you talk to us about why you, after launching 13 Loon, decided to go ahead and launch another company? You're definitely yeah. very busy. Yes, yes, very busy. Well, so Relevant, your skin scene actually launched this past June. I launched my first SKU and then six weeks ago, just launched uh, the rest of the skincare collection for this first collection. 
Um, and it was incubated through 13 Loon. Um, but, you know, for many reasons, I mean, A, through 13 Loon, I have the data, I have the data to support where we can still do better at serving um, a consumer that's been underserved for far too long. I also really missed having a brand and had never had the opportunity due to, you know, funding or support um, to create the brand of my dreams. I could never have played in the actives and, and expensive ingredients and had the marketing support, had the retail footprint that I do now um, in previous times. And so it's just an example of when you give a founder the funding, the support, the autonomy, the ability to soar, brands like Relevant are born. And, and when you think about it from a business perspective, investing, truly investing, not just like handing out pennies and saying, oh, look at this black or brown, you know, founder I have in my portfolio, truly investing, showing up when the business is doing well, when the business needs to grow and when the business is having a hard time, not cutting off funding because it's not performing or any of the nonsense that I've heard in the past. I think it's, it's just, it's a testament. And, you know, every part of Relevant was about you know, and the creation of this first collection was really about how to elevate others. I hired two independent black chemists um, to who have 30 year careers, who had never been promoted to lead chemists, who now are at their new lab because Relevant was their first PO. Um, they uh, socially distanced with me on Larchmont Boulevard. Relevant Your Skin Scene was born on Larchmont Boulevard. And, you know, it's, it's doing business right. You can you can build a very profitable business, build a successful business, and do good at the same time, and help and elevate others at the same time. And it's that secret sauce that I think, actually, while I am very busy, just brings me such joy to have a brand of my own back in the marketplace again. You're speaking my love language, talking about like doing good, supporting others, and kind of showing up both as a leader, but also as a partner in mm -hmm. whatever endeavor you're doing. I think that that is often missed a lot when people just think about, oh, I'm just going to make money, or I'm just looking to see how do I mm -hmm. get ahead versus how do we as a collective move forward and break barriers and also invite more people to be successful. Right. Right. It's so true. And it's so much more fun to do it together. You know, we, I often refer to our 13 Loon family, our 13 Loon at JC Penny family, which is our new retail home, um, as, as family, because it, we really are building this incredible movement together and, and it's beauty and beauty is fun. And it's a, it's an incredible industry to help connect others. And so, um, you know, there's a reason that even in an economic downturn, that beauty still seems to survive or do well, because, you know, while beauty comes from the inside out and you can't be pretty on the outside, if you're not feeling pretty on the inside, it is such a connector and, and evokes such joy. So why not allow that joy to be equitable? So speaking of like joy and, you know, all of us have those little things we do for self-care. What are some of your self-care practices? Mm, goodness gracious. Well, I nap. I, I sleep a lot. Um, 
the past couple of weeks have been so crazy. I think the holiday season, I feel like we've all been shot out of a cannon. So I haven't had as much rest lately, but all I keep thinking about is next week when I have nothing, I can sleep. Um, but I do, I like to prioritize rest. Um, I love obviously skincare, um, taking care of my skin. Um, and the ritual of taking care of my skin, like really like enjoying the process. What is your process? Like, what are those key? Well, I have like key rules, which is like, don't ever fall asleep with your makeup on, which sounds really basic, but a lot of people still do it. <laughs> and I'm like, no matter how tired I am, when I come home at the end of the night, it's like getting my cleansing balm and melting all, you know, if I'm wearing makeup, melting all the makeup off and then using, I love double cleansing. Um, so I love to use my cleansing serum, um, during the day I do my eye cream. I use my soul tone resurfacing. I like to exfoliate during the day. Some people like it at night. I like it as part of my morning routine. And then I love vitamin C. And then I always use my one and done everyday cream with SPF 40 because SPF is every day at night. I'll switch up my moisturizer to my resting mask, which is just a really yummy, thick, cream that's got a lot of azalic in it. So when you're in repair mode, it just sort of helps your pores to look yummy in the morning. And then I also love to gua sha. I love tools. I love led light masks, you know, anything that, um, I don't know, skincare. I'm obviously in the right job. I'm just like getting giddy thinking about products. Um, so, and then I also, you know, love spending time with, with my family and, and spending time with my girlfriends, I do this thing called circling, um, with my girlfriends, um, started doing that almost 20 years ago, um, through my friend, Andrea Bendewald, who owns a company called the art of circling, but we also do it just to get together and do check-ins with each other. So, you know, I just, I love my people, but I also love my, my me time. Yeah. And then in your life, who do you turn to for advice or support? Because obviously you're running a lot of businesses, you have your family, mm -hmm. you have your friends, but who are those people that you really turn to for advice? Yeah, my husband, for sure. My husband, David, he's an incredible artist and a good listener. And he just gets me. He's known me for 22 years. And, and so he's a very, he's very pragmatic in his advice. You know, he listens and then he helps to diffuse. We're both Aries, but I definitely run a little hot sometimes in, in, in my emotions. And, um, so he's a good stabilizer. My mom, she, um, she tries her best to sit and listen, but she definitely comes in as a protect. I just feel protected by her. Um, and my dad, um, was always, you know, great, a great listener and a great advice giver. He passed, um, some time ago. Uh, my girlfriends, I feel like certain girlfriends are the, are the, are the, the best mirrors. And, you know, I go to those that I know aren't just going to tell me what I want to hear. And then my business partner, Patrick, um, he is more than a, a business partner. It's like the sole brother that I, I always wanted and, and my own brother as well. So I'm, I'm lucky to have quite a, quite a handful of, uh, you know, people that, that show up for me that I adore showing up for as well. Then what's next for you? What's next for relevant and 13 loon? Do you have any other projects kind of cooking? Yeah. So currently, um, you know, 90 days after we launched 13 loon, we got the call from JC Penney, um, 
saying that they would love for us to come in and be um, their exclusive uh, beauty retail partner. And so we're currently rolling out 613 Loon stores nationwide in JCPenney. And so we're about a third of the way there and we'll have all 600 open by May. So check out your local JCPenney to find 13 Loon at JCPenney. So that's fun. And then we're also opening a flagship 13 Loon store here in Los Angeles. Um, in my neighborhood on Larchmont Boulevard, which has been historically one of the most fun and, and, and growing, uh, you know, retail districts here in Los Angeles. So really excited for that to come first quarter, 2023. And, you know, my hopes and goals is that, you know, we can take this sort of flagship opportunity, these, you know, store and store opportunities and, we keep talking about this being a global brand. So we got to, we got to go global. So, you know, that's in the pipeline and, and, you know, but right now we're just really focused on getting, getting these doors open here and getting more of these beautiful brands to shelf. It's so exciting. Next time I'm in LA, I'll definitely want to come check out the flagship and um, keep my eye open for 13 Loon and all your products, because I'm a big beauty person. I love everything with the skin and that ritual. Skin. <laughs> oh, thank you. I wash my face. That's my number one rule. No yeah. makeup before I go no to sleep. Makeup. Horrible. Not be happy. Yes, no. exactly. Thank you so much. I know how busy you are. It's such an honor to have you on the show. You've definitely broken down barriers and I love how you've turned your experience and really used it for good and opening the doors for so many more female and BIPOC founders who enter the space that maybe before would have been even harder, even yeah. though it is still a challenge today. I'm not saying that it's not. Having more founders speak up about their experience and offer mentorship is the key to increasing seeing those faces and getting that capital to individuals who previously it would have been even worse or a bigger challenge. I end every episode with the same three final questions. The first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be? If people are speaking negatively about you or talking behind your back, it's absolutely none of your business. I love that one. That's a good one. I haven't heard that one. That's a good mantra to live by. Mm -hmm. The second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you pick? I mean, I think it would be the days I have to have two because I have two kids, but yeah, becoming a mom for the first time and then having my son, the second, both entirely different experiences, but having the babies. I've heard that from a few different guests, those days where your whole life just goes upside down. It's never going to be the same again. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, I mean, it's can be quite painful, but then when you get that baby in your hands, you're like, It's worth it. The final question is, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? I will survive. Wonderful. So I am going to add that song to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist on Spotify. So guests can hear your theme song along with all of our (laughs) other guests. So I I love it. Oh my gosh. That's so great. I love that. Well, thank you so much for having me. No, thank you so much. It's been such an honor to speak with you. And I'm just so excited to watch the brands continue to grow and use the products and um, see where you go next. Thank you so much. 